I love worship like that. Isn't that good? How many of you need a breakthrough today? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and, and we're going to honor Him. You know, I was reading last night in Ezra that when Ezra stood to read the Word, when they had been returned from captivity, all the people stood up for the reading of the Word, and that's where we get this. They stood up to honor the Word, and they wept when they heard the Word of God. It so touched them. But today I want to talk to you about a breakthrough. A breakthrough is when God does something you can't do. A breakthrough is when God gets you through a door you couldn't go through yourself. A breakthrough is when God sets you free from something you can't break yourself. A, God, a breakthrough is when God does it when you can't do it and flesh can't do it and all your best efforts can't do it. God does it. Now, how many of you are up against a wall and need a breakthrough today? Amen. All right, today I'm going to talk to you about a guy named Jabez. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And this is a powerful passage. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez. Why did she call him that? Read it with me. Because I bore him in pain. And then, verse 10, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Listen to this four-part prayer. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me. Amen. And that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause what? Pain. Now look what God did. Read it with me, everybody. So God granted him what he requested. We serve a prayer-answering God who sees our plight, sees our problem, sees our struggles. And in the middle of our struggle, God brings breakthroughs. Supernatural, God-sent, Holy Ghost, devil-stomping breakthroughs. Amen. Things that only God can do. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now that there are breakthroughs you're going to bring to people in this audience and listening by radio and watching by video. You're going to bring breakthrough. A breakthrough is on God's calendar. And it's going to come to those struggling in their marriages, struggling with finances, struggling with a habit. Those who are up against a wall and don't know where to go and what to do and where to turn, God is going to bring a breakthrough. We believe you for it. And I thank you, Lord, for doing what only you can do. For you only do wondrous things. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you shout with me, breakthrough? Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Thank you. And I love talking about breakthrough because I know that our God is a God who brings breakthrough. He is a God of breakthrough. Now, you know, I might be saying, uh, who in the world is this guy named Jabez? Well, if it wasn't for a guy named Bruce Wilkinson, most of, of the Christian church probably wouldn't know who Jabez is, but he wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez. It was very popular many years ago. And um, let me give you a quick Reader's Digest version of who Jabez is in the Bible, in the book of First Chronicles chapter 4, 
600 genealogies are listed, name after name after name. It's that part of the Bible where so-and-so begat, so-and-so who begat, so-and-so, and then begat, so-and-so, and by around verse 4, you're tuned out and so am I. But in verses 9 and 10, the Holy Ghost pauses and homes in on and pulls in tight on this man named Jabez because there's something that God wants us to understand about his life. This man Jabez, we don't know much about him, but we do know this. He must have lived a life of greatness because historians tell us that a city was named after Jabez. And that he was a true man of God, and people followed him. And we see that Jabez was a man of prayer. And he was a man who, when he came up against a problem, believed that God knew about it and that God would do something about it. His understanding of God is amazing because he didn't have near as much of the Bible as we do. No New Testament, most of the Old Testament, he didn't have it. And yet he had this understanding of God, that God could be prayed to, and that God would answer prayer, and that God felt our pain, and God would do something about it if we would turn to him. Now the writer that God used to, to pen the Chronicles was Ezra. Ezra was involved in the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the wall, after they had been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Ezra was a teacher, a scribe, a leader a key man in the restoration of Israel. And Ezra seems to assume that his immediate readers, those that he addressed the Chronicles to in his day and time, knew who Jabez was because he offers zero background information on him as if to say, I know all of you know who he is, so let me just talk to you about this well-known man named Jabez and how he got where he got. We do know. His mother named him Jabez, and we found, find out that his name in the Hebrew language meant one who causes sorrow, or sorrow causer, or pain causer. How would you like to be named? Hey, sorrow causer, come here. Can you imagine going home to your parents and saying, well, I've met a great guy, Mom. What's his name? He who causes pain. You sure about that, honey? You sure you got the right guy? One who causes sorrow because she said, I bore him in sorrow and I bore him in pain. So apparently when Jabez was born, it was a particularly difficult birth that caused her a lot of grief and a lot of pain, way above average, even though all births are difficult for women for sure. This one was particularly bad. And so when he was born, she said, man, I'm never going to forget this pain. So much so I'm going to name this boy he who causes sorrow, he who causes pain. So from birth, Jabez was placed in a negative context. His entry into the world was cast in a bad light. Think about this. His name meant pain. And not just pain, but he who causes pain. He who brings pain. He who brings sorrow with them. You remember that little guy in the Peanuts comic strip, Pigpen? Everywhere he went, there was a cloud of dirt that went around with him. You remember that? How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
All right, most of you know who Pigpen was. And everywhere he went, he had this cloud of dirt that was everywhere, and he always looked dirty. Well, you know what? Everywhere that Jabez went in his early days, people knew the name, and the name was significant. And everywhere he went, he carried with him this stigma of pain. He who causes pain. He who gave his mother grief. Now, in the Old Testament days, a name mattered greatly. Parents were very, very careful to place upon their children names that signify something about their destiny and their character. In the Old Testament, a name was predictive. It was often prophetic. It pointed to what the parents believed this child was going to do and what God's purpose for them was and what their character was going to be like. So, for instance, we have Isaac, meaning laughter, or Jesus, meaning Savior, or Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. All names that were predictive of that person's purpose and destiny and character. So what did it mean if you were called sorrow causer? He who brings pain. Guarantee it placed Jabez in a negative light. The name Jabez stigmatized him. It had a defining character in it. Uh, it did not portend a positive future or good character. For me, the, the, the great message of 1 Chronicles 4, 9 and 10, and the Holy Ghost homing in on this man named Jabez and telling us what the Holy Spirit decided to tell us, is that Jabez rose up and refused to be defined by the world represented in his mother. Now, I don't think his mother named him this maliciously. I don't think she meant bad for him. She just spoke out of her pain and said, his name is Jabez, but it stigmatized him. It put a negative light on him. And what I like about this guy is he rose up and said, I may have been called, called he who causes sorrow, but I am not receiving that. I am not going to be defined by that. I don't care what somebody has spoken over my life. I'm going to be and do what God has called me to be and do. And I'm not going to let somebody pigeonhole me with a negative name, a negative profile, a negative stereotype. So Jabez prayed this prayer that has become famous all over the world that the meaning of his name would be reversed by God. I like God. I love God. I honor God because my God reverses the curses. He reverses the curses. Jabez prayed that the grief implied by his name would not come upon him. His prayer was comprised of four parts that are powerful. And I can't tell you how many times I have prayed this prayer fervently before Bruce Wilkinson ever wrote the book when I was pastoring in East Texas I discovered this first Chronicles 4 9 and 10 and I saw this prayer and I began to pray it because it's so powerful four times four things he prayed in this one prayer it wasn't a long prayer but it was a powerful prayer his prayer prayed at the very end the fourth part of the prayer he said that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Do you see what he was doing? I have been called and labeled as he who will bring pain. But I'm praying, God, that you will see to it that that will never be true of me. 
but that I will, instead of bringing pain, I will bring gain. Instead of bringing a curse, I will bring a blessing. Instead of being a negative, I will be a positive. Instead of being a question mark, I will be an exclamation point. I will bless and not curse. I will lift up and not destroy. I'm praying, Lord, that you reverse this name in my life. Oh, it's a powerful thing. Let me tell you something. Our God will lift you up and our God will dust you off and our God will take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for the good. Listen to this four-part prayer. He said, first, Lord, that you would bless me indeed. So he prayed for genuine blessedness. Then he prayed that you would enlarge my territory. That's prosperity. Then he prayed that God's right hand or God's hand would be with me. That's power. And then that he would not be a Jabez, a man of sorrow. That's protection. So say with me, blessing. Come on, say it with me, church. Blessing. What I'm about to read, God wants for you and will do for you and do in you and do through you. So say it again. Blessing, prosperity, power, and protection. What a great prayer. Lord, I pray, bless me indeed. I pray for prosperity so that I can do the will of God. I pray for power on my life. And I pray for protection from the evil one and that I will not cause evil to others. What a great prayer. Can you imagine every day waking up and saying, Oh Lord, bless me indeed. And I pray that your power would be with me. And I pray your prosperity would be revealed in my life. And I pray that you protect me today. What a great prayer. We're told God granted that request. Now I want to talk to you today about experiencing a breakthrough in the presence of negativity. First, we're going to have to realize something that Jabez somehow knew. He knew that someone or something was currently or seeking to define who he was. Here's the truth that you need to walk out of here with today. Someone has and is currently defining who you are and what you will become. As a matter of fact, let me take it a step further. There is a contest, there is a battle over who and what is going to define you. And whoever wins that battle is going to decide what you become and where you go and the power of the influence of your life for Christ. If the world or the enemy successfully defines you, you will never amount to much for God, though you are saved. But if God defines you, you will grow to be a mighty man, a mighty woman of God. You will become a person of exploits. You will become a person who brings great influence to bear for the cause of Christ. If it is God that defines you, someone has and is currently, right now, defining who you are and what you will become, what you believe about yourself, who you believe you are, what you believe your potential is, it's happening right now. Let me give you some of the great definers that are battling every single day for your mind and my mind and what I believe about me and what you believe about yourself. The first great one is the culture surrounding us. The culture surrounding us is seeking to define you and me. Our current culture is highly toxic. I started preaching 40 years ago, and I'm going to tell you, it was a different America when I started preaching. Oh, it was toxic. The, the culture was toxic, but nothing like now. 
Every day that I wake up, I feel like putting on a spiritual hazmat suit. Our culture is so toxic. Our society is radioactive with toxic philosophies, toxic immorality, toxic godlessness. It reeks of it. It permeates every nook and cranny of our society. It's filled this society, our culture, with anti-Christian, anti-God, and anti-biblical messages to you about you. It seeks to define your manhood if you're a man. And let me say to men, the men listening to me, it's tragic what this culture has done to the male's image of the male. Boy, could I take off on this one. How we have been turned into a bunch of milk toast, spineless, metrosexual, non-men. We have forgotten what it means to be males and men. And it's because of the defining down that this culture has brought to men. I was thinking, I used to watch television shows like Andy Griffith, where the male in the show was actually a moral, upright, good, winning, successful man. These shows that used to be produced by Hollywood, but now every man in every sitcom is a blithering idiot who doesn't know what to do, who has to be ruled by the woman, who can't make any decisions for himself, and is a shadow of what a man used to be. I say we need men to stand up with a spine and be men again. We want manly men and we want womenly women. This culture seeks, if you're a woman, to define your womanhood. It wants to mold you into its own image. And you don't realize it, but every single day, through media, through magazines, through newspapers, through radio, through conversations of people, there is a defining process going on. And this culture wants you to see yourself, wants you to see the world, God, morality, and people a certain way. Through the lens of godlessness and the lens of secularism. Its goal, and it's got one, is that you will think and behave according to its ideals and beliefs. Paul warned about this. He knew the power of the world to define a person. He wrote in the Message Bible, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Did you know that the Bible says that if you're the friend of the world, you're the enemy of God? If you love this world, if you're the friend of this world, if you are embracing this satanically molded and shaped culture, not the world that God created, the beautiful trees and nature and all of that, but the satanically shaped and molded culture, if you love that, you have made yourself an enemy of God because it is an enemy of God. The Amplified Bible says, Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals and its new attitude. How are we to be changed? We are to be transformed. That's not a New Year's resolution. Transformed is not rehab transformed means you are undergoing a process where you are going from one thing to another. It begins with, 
If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away and all has become new. And so our spirits are reborn, but then our minds have got to be transformed. And how is it done? Right here in the greatest book on the earth, the most powerful book available to mankind, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, which erases old ways of thinking and replaces them with new ways of thinking, which kicks out worldly thoughts and replaces them with godly thoughts, which brings down the world in your mind and brings up God in your mind, which brings down strongholds. and brings every thought to the captivity of Christ. Every time I read this Bible, something happens with my mind. That is, I get brainwashed. Not in a bad way, but the washing of the brain, the washing of water by the Word of God. So we've got to watch out for the defining nature of the culture. And a second source seeking to define us is failure. Do you know that failure wants to define you. Failure, if you're not careful, can send a lethal message to you about you. It's so dangerous. Here's what failure says to you. You fail morally. You fail in a job. You, you lose your job. You lose money. You lose a relationship. You fail in a relationship. Something happens, and you know, everybody in here fails. Everybody in here falls short. Everybody in here makes mistakes. If anybody in here doesn't do those things, can I meet you after church? We all do. But guess what? If you let it talk to you and define you, here's what it will say. You're no good. You're not born to succeed. You're just a loser. You might as well give up and quit because you're never going to succeed at anything. Everything you touch fails. You're born under a bad sign. God's not with you. You don't have any talent. You were passed by when the gifts were handed out. And here you are, you're walking down the street, driving down the highway, going through your everyday uh, workaday world, and these thoughts are going through your mind, and if you're not careful, you begin to agree with them. Well, you know what? I, I, I am a failure. I, I, I never am going to amount to anything. I, I really can't do anything right. I, I'm just all thumbs. I, just, I can't seem to make anything work. And you begin to believe the message of failure that because you failed, it makes you a failure. And that's the trap. Because guess what? Failure is never fatal and never final unless you quit. If you agree with it and say, well, I'm going to give up on life and I'm just going to walk into the sunset, then yes, you have believed a lie. Here's what failure really means. Failure means you tried the wrong thing to fix a problem, so try again. I'm going to say that again because some of you really need to hear that today. Failure means not that you are a failure, but that you tried the wrong thing to fix a problem. It didn't work, so try again. If at first you don't succeed, failing doesn't make me a failure. It's like the old preacher said, God don't make no junk. If you allow failure to define you as a failure, you are essentially saying to God, you created a mistake. 
And can I tell you, there's not a person in here who is a mistake. I don't care under what condition you were born, you're not a mistake. And you were not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, custom designed by the hand of God, special to Him, His handiwork. And He's got a call on your life and a purpose for you and a reason for you and a blessing for you, Jabez. Oh, I'm, I'm called, I'm called the one who causes sorrow. But Jabez says, she may have called me that, but it's not going to be me. I'm a winner, not a loser. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. So you've got to watch out for how you let failure. And then there's another definer, and that is important people in our lives. Parents, teachers. And this is where parents are so important that you speak faith that you speak positive things over your children. Parents, teachers, counselors, advisors, friends. You know, a teacher or an important person in a child's life can mow them down with one sentence or pick them up and send them into greatness with one statement. All these people in close proximity to us, parents, teachers, counselors, advisors, friends, intentionally or unintentionally helped define us. Jabez's own mother sought to define him. Now, there's nothing wrong with these kinds of people seeking to define us. But listen, as long as their definition lines up with God's. As long as their definition of you and me lines up with God's definition of you and me. If it doesn't, listen, I won't hang around with people who define me down. I won't spend much time at all with people who define me down. I don't have time for it. I have found that the devil and flesh always wants to define you down. But God and the Holy Ghost always want to define you up. Sometimes the well-meaning or not so well-meaning words and attitudes of other people play a huge role in how we view ourselves. For instance, you've been told you have no talent or you aren't cut out for this business, or you are never going to make it in this line of work. Translated, you're a failure. God didn't create something good when He made you. Or when you were a child, somebody called you dumb, or worthless, or unpromising, or even bad. You're a bad seed. You do bad things. You're a bad kid. And I tell you, the words that are spoken over us as children are so powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And their definition of you, these important people in your life, their definition of you created a belief about yourself that didn't come from God, and it didn't come from the Holy Spirit, and it didn't come from the Word, and it flat out wasn't true. But it defined you. It stuck with you. Did you know that Beethoven was told by a music teacher that as a composer he was hopeless? Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper because he, quote, lacked imagination and had no original ideas. Thomas Edison, the creator of the light bulb and a thousand other inventions, was told by a teacher he was too stupid to learn anything. Albert Einstein wasn't able to speak until he was four years old. And his teacher said he would, quote, never amount to much. Old Mr. E equals MC squared. 
Michael Jordan was cut from the high school basketball team, went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. I'll tell you who should have been crying. The coach that cut Michael Jordan from the high school basketball team. What a loss. Because he could have been the guy that Michael later said, this is the man who made me what I was. These are just a few of the people who refuse to listen to the critical, potentially defining words of the so-called experts. Listen, there's only one expert over me, and that's the one that made me. He's the only one who's an expert on me. He knows me inside out. He knows my down-sitting and my uprising. He knows what I'm going to say before I ever say it. He knows me inside out. He's the only expert on me. And like these people, like Jordan and the others, Jabez refused to accept the gloomy future his name implied. He went to God and boldly prayed for the complete reversal of his name, and God granted his request. Wow. Now, he also knew something everybody in here has got to know. If you're going to do what God's called you to do, you've got to see yourself the way God sees you. I'm going to say that again. We've got to get this. If you're going to do what God's called you to do, you've got to see yourself the way God sees you. When I was first saved, my self-image was almost non-existent. I had a terrible inferiority complex. I'm being totally honest with you and transparent with you. It's true. I had no sense of purpose, no sense of destiny, no sense of, of, of potential. I, I, just, I, I, was, I wouldn't look you in the eye. I was terrified to speak in front of people because I allowed an event that happened to me in elementary school to define me. I was in a school play and forgot my lines totally. Standing there in a cardboard suit of armor. And thank God my face was covered because I forgot my lines and just stood there. And finally the teacher said, well, Jeff, uh, you can go on back out in the hall. And I clunked out there and said, I'll never speak again. <laughs> and that defined me. And the enemy said, you're not a public speaker. You're not a public speaker. You, you shouldn't be speaking in front of people. But then God got a hold of me. Yeah. Then the Lord got a hold of me. And the Lord had other plans. And said to me, I've called you to speak and called you to preach and called you to teach. But here's what God did. He brought into my life people that began to define me up began to say to me, Jeff, you've got a call in your life. When you share the Word of God, it blesses people. You've got a way with that Word. You ought to do something with it. Really? Me? Are you sure? Because I'm terrified to even speak in front of people. But they pushed me, nudged me, urged me, exhorted me, encouraged me, and defined me up. We all need people not who will define us into pride, but who will define us up into our purpose, up into our destiny, up into seeing ourselves the way God sees us. God's in a defining business. That's why so many times he changed the names of people in the Bible. He changed Abram's name, which meant high father, to Abraham, father of nations. He changed his wife's name, Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, my princess, to Sarah, mother of nations. He changed Jacob's name, which meant trickster or con man, to Israel, meaning prince with God. He changed Simon's name from God has heard to Peter, meaning rock. 
Simon, you're as unstable as water, but I'm going to make you a rock. And Jesus' names were always predictive and uplifting because He defined you up. Follow me and I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. You used to fish for fish, but I'm going to take you to a higher place. You're going to fish for men. I'm going to open your mouth and you're going to preach. And Simon Peter, I'm going to put in you the first Pentecostal gospel message. You're just a crusty old fisherman, but I don't see you that way. I see you as Peter, the rock, and I'm going to define you accordingly. God's names were predictive and they were uplifting. They filled the recipient with hope. The bottom line is that God is in the defining business. Let me just give you an example of what he says about you and me. Let me define you up. Anybody want to be defined up today? Let me tell you what the blood of Jesus did for you. Here's what the blood of Jesus did for you. Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Ephesians 2.19 says, we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Matthew 5.13 and 14, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're an answer and not a question mark. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Romans 8.30 says, we are called, justified, sanctified and glorified listen to these words you are conquerors God's handiwork fellow citizens salt light righteousness called justified sanctified glorified you are who he says you are clearly the Bible seeks to define us as God's children, as the old children's song says, you are a great big bundle of potentiality. That's why it's crucial that the source of our defining is God, not men, not negative experiences, not the devil, but God and His Word. The miracle of Jabez is in his understanding that God did not view him according to his negative name. He believed that God saw him as a man of promise, destiny, purpose, potential. And he prayed the way that he prayed. Now, we don't know a lot about Jabez's life, as I said earlier, but here's what we do know. He was blessed with blessing indeed because God answered his prayer. God's hand of power was with him. He saw the prosperous enlargement of his business and his horizons because he prayed that powerful prayer. He was protected from personal harm, and contrary to his name, he was protected from harming others and bringing sorrow. Now let me ask you a question today. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself the way God sees you? How important is it? If I had never believed what he was saying to me about me, I wouldn't be standing here. Have you been defined in a way that doesn't agree with God's view of you? Are you around people right now who are defining you down all the time? Do you need a breakthrough against negative messages sent to you about you? God hates your sin, but he loves, cherishes you.
Can we stand together today? I'm going to ask there to be as little movement as possible. We're about to be dismissed, but I want to pray for you. I can't tell you how important it is that we say, Lord, I am who you say that I am. And I'm a person of destiny and purpose. I'm not uplifting flesh. I just know what God has done for everyone here. You are His child. And there's a destiny for you. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, you know, I've struggled with believing anything good about myself. I haven't seen myself in a positive light. And I haven't seen much future or hope for me or really anything outstanding. When I look in the mirror, I'm not thrilled. And when I think about me, I feel kind of down on me. That didn't come from God. You can say, I need a breakthrough in the presence of negativity. I want you to raise your hands right where you are. All over this sanctuary. Many, many people. I want to pray for you right now. First, Lord, I, I pray that you will break the shackle, break the power of the lie, that you will so penetrate their soul and spirit with the revelation of their call and purpose and destiny, that, Lord, there will be a defining up of Holy Spirit confidence and boldness. I pray that you will erase what people have said that has been defining down, down defining, that you will erase those negative tapes of down defining, that you will erase anything we have believed about ourselves because of failure, because of bad experiences, where we have felt tainted and stained. Oh God, I pray that the blood will prevail and what the blood has truly done will come as a revelation to everyone in this room that they'll be delivered from the lie of the enemy and encouraged in the Lord today. Now I want you to say with me, I am who he says I am. And I can do what he says I can do. Now say, Lord, I give you the negative stereotypes, the negative messages, the down defining, and I lay it at your feet. I don't accept it. I am a child of the King. I have a purpose, a destiny, a reason, a call. And Lord, I receive your definition of me in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a hand of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank